Well, let me add my welcome this morning. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here at the bridge, and we are thankful that you are with us today, especially if you are a guest. We're going to jump into God's word right now. So I want to ask if you would join me in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew 1 in the New Testament. And before I give you the title of the message today, I want to ask a question. Does anybody ever know what it feels like just to be overwhelmed? (laughs) Everybody's like, oh, yeah. We can all relate to it, whether we've walked through a short season of feeling overwhelmed, or perhaps you're in a season right now where it feels like the cumulative weight of life is just overwhelming. I think we all know how that feels. And so with that said, that's what I want to talk about today because I've had it in my heart to speak to people who are walking through a season where you just feel overwhelmed. And the title of the message, I hope it's encouraging. It might not be encouraging on the surface, but there's good news behind it. The title of the message today is simply this, God will give you more than you can handle. And I think most of us who have been walking with God for a while have found out this lesson the hard way, that God will sometimes give us more then we can handle. And here's the funny thing about life is that often when we get overwhelmed, what do we do? We go to people, we turn to people in hopes that they will encourage us, they'll lift up our spirits and help us get through whatever it is that we're walking through and carrying. I don't know about you, but I tend to call friends and family members. Maybe it's a friend, it's your mom, it's your dad, your grandma, your grandpa, your aunt, your uncle, whoever that might be, and you call them up and you just tell them what's going on in your life. And you say, listen, I'm calling you today because honestly, I'm just overwhelmed. I need someone to talk to, someone to just encourage me, help me get through this. And have you ever done that with somebody? And when you called them up or you you text them, you met them for coffee, whatever that might be, you got together with them, you told them what was going on, you said, I'm just overwhelmed. And they looked back at you and they said something like this. Well, hey, don't you worry, you're gonna get through this. It's gonna be okay. And I'll tell you why. Because the Bible says that God won't give us more than we can handle. There's just one problem. The Bible doesn't really say that. And in fact, there's one verse of scripture I want to point to in a moment that a lot of times what we do is we take it and we apply it to everything else, thinking that God won't give us more than we can handle. But there are numerous stories throughout scripture where God gave people a whole lot more than what they were able to handle on their own. But first, let's go to this passage of scripture I'm talking about. And I know you're in Matthew 1, but let's just refer very quickly to 1 Corinthians 10. These are Paul's writings, and look at what he says. He's talking about something specific. He says in 10 and verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to bear. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may may be able to bear it. So this passage of scripture specifically is dealing with the topic of temptation. What we sometimes do is we'll take that idea that God won't allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able to bear and maybe try to apply it to anything and everything that comes our way in life. Paul is saying here that God will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able to bear. And not only that, but he will also give us a way of escape when we're facing temptation. So when it comes to temptation, it's true. God will not allow us to bear more than we can handle. But let's go back to the original question for a moment and the premise of the question. Is it true in general that God won't give us more than we can handle? Because if we take that and we really try to apply it to every area of our life, what we might find is that we quickly assume that everything we deal with in life comes from God. 
Can I tell you something? There are certain things in life that God gives us that he wants us to walk out, but sometimes the things that are overwhelming us are not things that God gives us. They're just things that we brought on ourselves because of our choices. Come on, somebody say amen. Maybe help me feel like I'm not the only one who sometimes makes mistakes and gets overwhelmed because of my choices. It's important for us to know that. While it's true that God knows and is aware of every detail in our lives, including every challenge we face, it's important to remember that while every challenge is known by God, not every challenge comes from God. Quite often, and maybe even most of the time, the challenges that we face in life are simply a result of our choices and common life circumstances. For example, I think everybody in the house today knows how it feels to to look at your bills and look at your income and say, man, the outgo is bigger than the income. What's going on? How am I going to deal with this? Perhaps, Perhaps you've walked through a season of being unemployed or something like that. It's just common in life that there are challenges that are going to come our way that are a part of the human condition. That doesn't mean that God doesn't care, but a lot of these challenges are just common in life. It doesn't mean that they came from God. But then there are times that God calls us to something that feels, that feels bigger than us. And just like many of the challenges of life, when God calls us to something big, it can feel overwhelming. And all of that leads me to the conclusion, will God give you more than you can handle? Yeah, sometimes he will. But the good news is, he doesn't want you to carry it on your own. In fact, God will often give us more more than we can handle to show us his power in our limitation, his sufficiency in our insufficiency, and his strength in our weakness. Now, there are multiple places in Scripture where we can point to people who had to carry something that was bigger than them. Today, I want to look at one such story that's found in Matthew 1, and it's the story of Joseph, who was the earthly father figure for Jesus. You know, the story of Joseph is so fascinating when you look at the scope of the Bible because he was tasked with such a huge job by God, yet we know so little about him in Scripture. For example, one thing we do know is that he was a carpenter, and that's the way that he raised Jesus. But we don't know a lot of other things. There are many Bible scholars who think that perhaps Joseph was an older man when Mary was betrothed to him, and that he died a few years later. And the reason why many of them think that is because Joseph is nowhere to be found in the crucifixion scene. It talks about Mary, the mother of Jesus, being there, but Joseph isn't spoken of. On the other hand, there are many Bible scholars that believe perhaps Joseph died young. And even though he was there for Jesus during his childhood, again, he doesn't show up in the crucifixion scene. So there's not a lot that we know about him. But one thing we do know is that when the story picks Joseph up in Matthew 1 and brings him into the picture, we know that he's already engaged to Mary, or you could say that Mary was betrothed to Joseph. And that's where I want to start today in Matthew chapter 1, and look at what God asked Joseph to do. Matthew 1 verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, that tells us another thing about him, that he was a good man in the sight of God, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Now let's stop right there for just a moment and talk about this. Let's just look and consider everything that Joseph might have had going through his mind At this moment, when the angel of the Lord comes to him and he learns about his destiny. 
First of all, Scripture doesn't record the conversation when Mary told Joseph that she was pregnant. Isn't it amazing that they left that story out? I would have loved to have heard that story. Okay, Joe, I'm pregnant. Um, Don't worry, I haven't been unfaithful. It's a child of the Holy Spirit. It's all going to be good. And he's like, okay. I mean, seriously, wives, imagine selling that to your husbands. Husbands, imagine if your wife came and told you that. I mean, it doesn't seem to add up. If Mary has this divine encounter, then Joseph ain't going to believe it until he gets to have a divine encounter of his own. But the passage indicates that Mary has already told Joseph because it says in verse 19 that he was planning to put her away secretly. What does that mean? Well, most Bible scholars agree that Joseph was intending to break off their engagement privately, not make a big public spectacle about it because the news hadn't broke out yet. Mary knows, now Joseph knows, and he's thinking, I don't want to embarrass her, but I don't want to deal with this crazy situation. So he was probably planning to break off the engagement privately. Now, Joseph must have felt betrayed by Mary to learn that she was pregnant. I mean, can we just be honest for a moment? When he got this news, he's probably thinking, child of the Holy Spirit, honey, just tell me the truth. You've been unfaithful, and now i got to deal with this, right? Surely Joseph felt betrayed. He needed to have an encounter with God himself in order for all of this to be confirmed. Not only that, but Joseph must have also felt embarrassed as he most likely assumed that Mary had been unfaithful. So at this point, all that he has on his mind is that he is going to move on from this situation. He's done with it. He's washing his hands of it. He doesn't want to embarrass her, but he certainly doesn't want to walk through life having to carry all of these crazy circumstances. Now, let's read on. Look at verse 20. I love these words. Grab these words and put them in your pocket for a minute. But while he thought about these things, all the circumstances, everything Mary had just told him, the craziness of this situation, But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Oh, Okay, so there's purpose involved in all this. Verse 22. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being awakened from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him Mary his wife. If you're taking notes this morning, we're talking about what do we do when life gets overwhelming. If you're taking notes, what we see in these stories of Joseph is that he actually has three divine angelic encounters. And we're going to look at all three of them this morning. So number one, first point, if you're taking notes, when life gets heavy, God is peace. When life gets heavy, God is is peace. Now, I want to focus in on this phrase that we see show up in verse 20 because this just jumped off the pages to me over these past few days. I feel like I've read right past this so many times. It says in verse 20, but while he thought about these things, it just caught my attention that sometimes when I walk through difficulties in life and I start to get overwhelmed, the reason I'm getting overwhelmed is because I start to let my thoughts get carried away and pretty soon the weight of what I'm dealing with gets a whole lot bigger than I am. Anybody else like that? 
Am I the only one in the room who, like, when I start to get overwhelmed, what do I do? I sit down alone on my thoughts, and I keep thinking, and I keep thinking, and I keep thinking, and I keep thinking, until these thoughts are so big and so heavy that they're overwhelming the faith that's inside of me. And that's the picture that I see when I read verse 20. It's as if Joseph is having the hardest time pondering, how am I going to get through all this? What am I going to do? But look at what happens next. This is so cool. Right after it says that, while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Now notice it doesn't say that an angel of the Lord came to him in a vision. It says an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. So let me ask you a question. What has to happen in order for you to have a dream? You got to go to sleep. Easy answer. You got to go to sleep if you're going to have a dream. And the picture that I see, this isn't the way the Bible records it, but the picture I see in my mind in verse 20 is here's Joseph wrestling with all these stuff, his thoughts running, his thoughts going wild, his imagination going crazy, and he's laying there probably sleepless. Isn't it interesting how when we allow our thoughts to get carried away, we can lay in bed and not sleep all night long because of the weight of what we are dealing with? And then suddenly, it says an angel of the Lord appeared to him, in a dream. And it's almost as if Joseph got so fatigued with what he was carrying that he just dozes off in exhaustion. And boom, here comes the angel of the Lord to bring him some peace. Now, I want to just kind of break this down for you a little bit because when you're feeling overwhelmed, the worst thing that you can do is get alone in your thoughts. If that's where you're at today, the worst thing that you can do when you are feeling overwhelmed and stressed out is to get alone in your thoughts. Look at the picture. He's overwhelmed by his thoughts, then he's visited in a dream. It's like sleepless anxiousness versus peaceful dreaming. And what happens when the angel of the Lord shows up? He says, don't be afraid, Joseph, because God is in this, and he's got you covered. God's in this thing, and he's got you covered. But there's something that is so fascinating about this story to me. Joseph gets an angelic visit three times. Now, I'm just going to ask the question, has anybody here ever had an angelic visit? It's possible that it's happened, but i got to be honest, it hasn't happened to me that I'm aware of. So why is it that Joseph gets three angelic visits and maybe most of us will never get one? Can I tell you why I think the answer to the, what the answer to that question is? I think it's because we have two things that Joseph didn't. Number one, we have the Word of God. And number two, we have the Holy Spirit. And so I want to say this to every person in the house. Anytime you start to feel overwhelmed with life, don't get alone in your thoughts. Go get alone with God. Because he's given us his word and he's given us his spirit. If we will get out of our thoughts and get into God's word, God will start to bring peace right in the middle of everything that's going on in our life. The storms of our life will be calmed. Jesus will speak peace over those situations. But here's the thing you got to catch. And I've been looking forward to this, talking about this with you guys because this hit me so strong this week. Philippians chapter 4, Paul talks about the peace of God. And I've read this again so many times in my life, and I tend to emphasize certain things, but it was like God just started pointing stuff out the other day as I'm reading through this. Look at this in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Many of you will know these verses. It says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, go and talk to God. Let your requests be made known to God. Don't be anxious. Go to God first. And then finally, verse 7, and the peace of God which surpasses. Everybody say surpasses. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. Now, 
I've read that, that, those verses of Scripture so many times, and I tend to put the emphasis on my understanding and the peace of God. Here's what's funny. Paul starts this off, and he says, don't be anxious about anything. Isn't it interesting how when we start to get overwhelmed, we will immediately jump to being anxious about everything that's happening to us right now? Why? Because we get alone in our thoughts, and it's our understanding that we tend to go to first. And Paul says, no, there's a race that's taking place here, and it's a race between your understanding and the peace of God. So let me put it to you this way. I don't know if you've ever been to the horse races or you've watched horse races on TV, but imagine there are two horses that are in the starting gates. And what's funny is horses always have funny names when you watch the races, right? So let's just imagine that there's one horse over here, and that horse's name is Understanding. And then there's another horse over here, and that horse's name is Peace of God. Well, usually when things get difficult and we have to make some tough choices, what do we lean on? Our own understanding. Because with our eyes, that looks like the better horse. It looks stronger, faster, more fit, in better shape. It looks more ready to run the race. So what do we do? We lean on our understanding when things get tough. But then suddenly life gets real. The gates open, the bell rings, and man, our understanding jumps out to a quick lead. Why? Because that's where we've placed all the emphasis. But then what we find is there's this horse over here that we've kind of underrated. It might not look as good to us on the surface. And even though the horse named Understanding jumped out to a quick lead, what we find out is that slow and steady usually wins the race. And here comes the peace of God. And we sit back and we watch the thing play out. And we find out that the peace of God surpasses understanding. And the reason why I want to talk about that word surpasses is because it has a very clear definition. In the original writings, the word surpass means to advance, to excel, to be better, or superior to. The peace of God is always superior to our understanding. And what we tend to do is put our money on the wrong horse. Because life gets heavy. We get overwhelmed. And what do we do? Immediately jump to anxiety. We immediately jump to worry. We immediately get alone in our thoughts. And rather than getting alone with God and letting his peace far outpace our understanding, we tend to get overwhelmed and shoot to anxiety first. When I was 30, 31 years old, some of you have heard me tell this story. I had a really bad bout with anxiety that was kind of a short-term thing. And a lot of it had to do with how much we had going on in our life. Never forget, I was in the emergency room at 4 o'clock in the morning in Newport Beach, and the doctor looked at me and said, you need to learn a new word, Zach. I was like, what's that? He says, you need to learn the word no, and you need to start saying it. Because you got way too many things going on. And he says, you know, Zach, I'm not a psychologist. He goes, I'm a doctor. He said, but I'm going to tell you something. He goes, what I've learned over the years when it comes to anxiety is that anxiety is when your brain is so overwhelmed, so many things going on, and it has too many things to process, it starts sending signals to your body, going into emergency mode, telling you that everything's not okay, that you're going to die, that you're having a heart attack, that you're not going to be able to breathe. He goes, listen to me, you're not going to die, you're not having a heart attack, and you can breathe. You've got to settle this thing down. And when things get difficult, what we often do is we lean on this, and we get alone in our thoughts, rather than getting alone with God and leaning on the peace of God and allowing it to surpass what we think in our mind. I want to say this to every person in the house today. If you're feeling overwhelmed, maybe anxiety is the result of the the way in which you lean on your own understanding. God doesn't want you to carry that thing on your own. He wants to come alongside you. He wants to lift you up so that you can do the thing he's called you to do. Because when things get difficult, when life gets heavy, God is peace. Amen? Amen. 
So again, before we get alone with our thoughts, we've got to get alone with God because when life is heavy, God is peace. Now, fast forward to Matthew chapter two. I wanna look at the next picture, this next angelic moment, this next angelic visitation, I should say, that happens in Joseph's life. Matthew two, verse 13. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. Now, what's this talking about? This is now after the birth of Jesus. They've been to Bethlehem. They were a part of the census. Jesus has been born. So now they're going to go back home, right? When they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Hmm. That wasn't a part of the plan. And stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, out of Egypt, I called my son. If you're taking notes this morning, the second thought I want to give you, second point, is simply this. When life feels scary, God is protection. When life gets scary, God is protection. You know, this passage so shows us that after the birth of Jesus, Mary and Joseph were ready to be on their way. They were ready to leave Bethlehem, return home, and get back to their life, their life, get back to their plans, and get back to their dreams. But guess what? God had some plans of his own. Because verse 13 tells us that an angel appears again to Joseph in a dream and told them to change course. Don't just go right home. Don't just go back according to your plans I want you to go a different way. I want you to go to Egypt and head toward Egypt because there was an enemy who was seeking to destroy their newborn son, Jesus. Now, think about this for a minute. They're holding the Savior of the world in their arms. He's God's son sent to them, given to them, but he's still their baby boy. I'm going to share from my heart for just a few moments this morning, and I want to ask everybody to engage with me, give me some grace on how this is received, but... I want to talk for a moment to all the parents in the house. If you're a parent, raise your hand. Even if you're a grandparent, awesome. That's a lot of us. I want to talk to the parents for just a moment. Imagine with me for a moment that your baby boy or your baby girl was in danger. Imagine holding your greatest treasure there in your arms, then being divinely warned by God that there's someone out there who is seeking to destroy them. What would you be willing to do to protect them? Would you be willing to suddenly go a new direction, even if it totally messed up all of your plans? I want to get the parents all on the same page with me this morning. Mary and Joseph, after the birth of Jesus and after participating in the census, were ready to go home. They were ready to move on with their life, their plans, their dreams, their pursuits. Ladies, Mary was probably ready to nest. Guys, Joseph was probably ready to get back to work. There were bills to pay, a new mouth to feed, projects to be completed, and surely they were ready to get back to the plans that they had for their family, for their life, and for their future. But the Lord warned them, don't go back to your home. Don't go back to your plans. Why? Because God's purposes were more important than their plans. Now, stay with me for just a minute here. I don't want to be a fear monger and I don't want to be the guy who speaks doom and gloom over everything that's going on around us. 
But I believe with everything inside of me that there is an enemy in the world today. And just like the days in which Mary and Joseph lived, he is seeking to destroy the next generation. Or, more specifically, he's seeking to destroy our kids. But my greater concern is not the enemy who's on the prowl, but rather the parents who refuse to heed the warnings. So if I can talk from my heart for a minute. Four years ago, I think everybody knew that the world had kind of lost its mind. And that was 2019. But then 2020, 21, 22, 23, it feels as though America hasn't just lost its mind, but we're beginning to lose our soul. So I was standing right back there in that top corner on a Thursday afternoon, almost two years ago now, and I was praying one day, and every Thursday afternoon we pray for our Sunday services. And I felt so strongly, I mean, there was just something that kept popping up inside of me, and I just couldn't even think about Sunday because we were about to send our kids back to school. And there was this one thing that just kept popping up inside of me over and over and over again. And I knew I did not feel good about sending my kids back to school. And I'm up there praying, and I, can't, I feel bad because I'm not thinking about Sunday, I'm thinking about my kids. In the middle of it all, my wife texts me and she says, I don't know what you're doing right now. I don't know what's going on, but we're, making, we're doing all this stuff, getting ready for the kids to go back to school. And I have this overwhelming burning in my heart that we are not supposed to do this. We are not supposed to send them back to school. And so <laughs> we get on the phone later and we're like, well, what are we going to do then? I don't know. No idea. But we made a decision that day to take our kids out of public school. Now, listen, that was my, our conviction. That doesn't mean it has to be yours. Everybody needs to live out their life and do family according to the convictions that God places in your heart. Please don't hear Zach just said that I'm supposed to. No. <laughs> you got to walk out all of your convictions the way God puts them in your heart. But the point is simply this. We knew beyond a shadow of doubt it was what we were supposed to do. And so we just departed. <laughs> and we jumped right into it. You know, like Mary and Joseph, we felt like God was moving us in a new direction. And it was not the direction we were planning on going in. But we understood that God's purposes for our kids were bigger than our plans for our life. Mary and Joseph understood that God's purposes were bigger than their plans, so they were willing to take a new direction. When you and I make a decision that God's purposes are bigger than our plans, his protection will always come with his purposes. Even if the road feels scary, God will protect us because we are pursuing his purposes. But I want to ask a question this morning. What would you be willing to do to protect your kids if you knew they were in danger? Again, I don't want to be a fear monger, but there's an enemy in this world who's after our kids. And I'm going to be honest with you, it messed up our plans. Because we had to change course. This wasn't what I was planning on doing. That's not the direction we were planning on going. And to be even more honest with you, I'm not so sure it's what we're going to do forever. I'm not telling everybody that you should homeschool your kids, but what I will say is this. If God is giving you a warning that your kids are in danger, are we heeding the warning? Are we willing to change our plans to look out for them? Are we willing to change our plans to make sure that they're going to be okay? Because guess what? Our kids are the future. And if we don't heed the warnings, things are only going to get worse. So I want to say this one more time. 
When you and I make a decision that God's purposes are bigger than our plans, his protection comes with his purposes. And if the road feels scary, God will protect us because we are pursuing his purposes above all else. Listen, when life gets scary and feels a little bit overwhelming, God is our protector. He wants to look out for us. He wants to look out for our kids. But it might require that we take a new direction that messes up our plans. But Mary and Joseph said, this is important. We're willing to sacrifice. We're willing to do what we need to do in order to make it happen. And God did amazing things through them in the life of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Now, that leads us to the last passage, the last, the third angelic visitation that we see that Joseph has. Matthew 2, verse 19. Now, when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, Take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, he took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. Here's the third thought I want to give you this morning from this visit. Third point is simply this. When life feels unclear, God is our direction. When life feels unclear, God is our direction. First, we saw earlier in chapter 2 that Mary and Joseph were told to go to Egypt. It wasn't their plan, but God was protecting them. But after going there for an unspecified amount of time, Herod, who had sought to kill Jesus, had passed away. So after Herod's death, God made it clear to them that it was now safe to go back to their homeland. See, as Christians, we might walk through seasons when life feels unclear, but when we choose God's purposes, we find his protection, and when we wait in his protection, when we wait in his protection, he then gives us his direction. They waited. They said, we're going to go somewhere. It's not a part of the plan. We're going somewhere else that we weren't planning on going, but God, this is the place you're taking us to protect us. And then a time came where the season changed, and after experiencing God's protection, they stayed in his hand of protection, And he gave them his direction. Now, I want to say this again. I was talking about us a moment ago. Man, I'm so grateful. We have some amazing teachers, principals, and school administrators that are here in our church that are God-fearing good people. And I honor you guys, man. You are amazing. We are so grateful for the role that you play in our kids' lives. And I don't want to disrespect or point the finger because we don't, that's not who we are as a church. We don't demonize anybody. We made our, our decision for us. But I'll tell you what, I look back to that story. It says that Mary and Joseph departed. They changed course. They didn't know how long. They didn't know what it was going to look like. When we made that decision to take our kids out of school, we're like, how long are we going to do this? Is this going to be forever? Is this how it's going to go? I still don't have the answer. But I'll tell you what, I'm not leaving God's hand of protection until he gives me clear direction. Now, let's apply this to your life for a moment. Maybe you're here today and you're like dealing with all kinds of things that have got you absolutely overwhelmed. You might be so unclear on what your next step is that you don't know what to do. I think the best advice I could possibly give everybody in the house who's seeking God's direction, don't jump out of his hand of protection until you know for sure the direction he has for you. When Ashley and I first got into ministry, my pastor that I served under in Orange County, I was having coffee with him one day and he had a wild, radical story of how he got saved. He had a literal vision of Jesus when he was praying one night to a God he did not know. And Jesus just showed up to him and just began speaking with him. And it was this wild story. And honestly, I've never experienced anything like it. But man, God just did amazing things in his life. And pretty soon he found himself in pastoral ministry in Australia. 
And he was living outside of the beaches of Sydney. And as he began to get into ministry, he had an opportunity that came about to go on staff at the church as one of the pastors at their city campus in Sydney. So he said, man, I'm I'm serving out here, leading a connect group in the beach community that I live in. And here comes this opportunity. And I'm like, man, this is a great opportunity. But over here, I don't want to leave this place that I love. I don't know what to do. He said, I felt like God has had me in the right place this whole time, but I just don't know what to do. I don't know what my next step is. He said, but the one thing I knew was don't jump out and do something crazy. Wait till you hear from God first. And again, he had had this radical conversion story. And he told me, he said, the very next day I woke up early in the morning. And what did we say earlier? That today we have the word of God and the Holy Spirit, right? That gives us our confirmation in our direction. He said, I open up my one-year Bible and I sit down and I begin to read from Acts 9. It's the story of Paul on the road to Damascus. He has this literal vision of Jesus. Jesus speaks to him. The scales form over his eyes, the blinding light. And he sits there as Jesus speaks to him. And what does he say after he's gotten his attention? He reads these words and it says, Arise and go to the city and you will be told what you must do. And he said, I'm crying out to God for direction because I don't know what to do. And right there in the morning when I got alone with God and set all my thoughts aside, God gives me clear direction from his word and I knew I was supposed to go to the city and take on this new challenge. Can I tell you something? If you are finding yourself in a season right now where things feel unclear, don't get alone in your thoughts. Get alone with God. Because when life is unclear, our God is a God who gives direction. He doesn't want you wandering blindly in the wilderness. He wants to help you figure this thing out. So he's given you his word, and he's given you his spirit to confirm what it says. Listen, God wants to give us direction when life feels unclear. Don't get overwhelmed if you're walking through a season of unclarity. Don't get alone in your thoughts. Get alone with God. God is peace when life gets heavy. God is our protector when life gets scary. And God is our direction when life feels unclear. Let's be a people who get alone with him, not getting lost in our own thoughts, and let him lead the way every day of our lives. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, I'm so grateful for this church family that I get to be a part of. They're incredible. To do life with this body, with these people, is such an amazing blessing. And just like Jeff said earlier, we're a family. I pray in Jesus' name that we would stand by each other, encourage one another. But God, we would not lean on our own understanding. We wouldn't just lean on the advice of others. We would take time to be alone with you, to get into your word and hear from your Holy Spirit and get the direction that we need for our lives. God, I speak peace today over every single person who feels like life is heavy and they're overwhelmed. Give them peace so they'll know that you are in the middle of the plan that you are unfolding in their life. And they'll be willing to go and do what you've called them to do. For the one who feels scared right now for what they're having to deal with, what their kids might be dealing with, for the big decisions they have to make, or maybe even the change of plans that they did not see coming, I pray that you would protect them. Look out for them. Let them know you're holding them in the palm of your hand. And as we rest there and wait there in the palm of your hand, in the middle of your protection, we won't move until we get your direction. We look to your word. We listen to your spirit. We won't get alone in our thoughts. We'll get alone with you. And you will lead us forward in Jesus' name. Lastly, this morning, before we conclude our service, just with heads bowed and eyes closed for one more moment, this is the last thing we're gonna do. And I just wanna ask everybody to hang tight till the end of service because this is a private moment. It's incredibly important for every person in the room. Maybe you're here today and you feel overwhelmed in one way or another. 
The good news is that God is here to help. I'll tell you what, I couldn't imagine walking through life without having him bringing me his peace, his protection, and his direction. And if we want all those things from God, there's one way we find it. And that's by coming into relationship with him through saying yes to Jesus. Jesus, his son, the perfect son of God, the one who was sinless, who came to this world, lived a sinless life and died on a cross, the death that we deserve for our sin. The one who took our penalty, our punishment upon him so that we could be forgiven and redeemed. That Jesus is the way we come back into relationship with God. The beauty of it is that after Jesus died, God didn't leave him there. Three days later, God raised him from the dead, conquering death, hell, and the grave for you and for me. And all we have to do is put our faith in what he did for us, and we can experience salvation and know that we have life eternal with God. I'm gonna pray a prayer here in just a moment, and I wanna ask everybody in the room just to join in this moment with me. I'm not gonna ask you to repeat my words. Instead, I'm gonna ask you to find words of your own and come into agreement with me. And if you wanna come into a relationship with God, say yes to Jesus today. Father, I thank you that you sent Jesus to this earth to die on the cross in my place. And I pray in Jesus' name that you would come into my life, that you would now become my Lord and my Savior. I surrender to you. I choose to follow you. I believe that your death was full payment for my sin. Today I stand forgiven. I believe that God raised you from the dead, conquering death, so that I could have new life. So today I give you my life, and I choose to follow you all the days of my life into eternity. Be my Lord and be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, listen, this is very important. Last thing, if you made a decision to follow Christ today, we want to give you a little gift. It's a simple tool called the next seven days that will help you start your walk with God. There's two ways you can get it. We'll have prayer teams right down here near the front of the platform. After service, just walk up to one of our teams, let them know you made a decision and you want to get the book. They'll give it to you. We don't need anything from you, but we're here to help in any way that we can. If you need to go quickly at the end of service, stop by the next seven days desk. It's right between the glass doors. Just let them know you made that decision. They'll give you the book and help you start your walk with God. Anybody that needs prayer, come see one of our prayer teams. They're here to stand in faith and encourage you today and pray a prayer of faith over your life. Hey, can we just put our hands together and welcome new believers into God's family today? Hey, we hope you guys have an amazing 4th of July, and we can't wait to see you Friday night at Summer Nights. Let's pack this place out with our friends, our family, our people. We love you guys. Have an awesome week. We'll see you in the house on Friday.